before we begin our Torah study tonight, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. Sometimes a word from the Lord will change everything. And when God speaks to you or shows something to you or opens it up to you, it plants faith in your heart, faith from God, not your faith, but his faith, that enables you to understand how to live. It gives you vision, it gives you understanding, and enables you to rightly interpret what is going on. As well, it gives you uh, a sense that by which you can make good decisions. What do I pay attention to? What do I ignore? What do I give extra priority to? What becomes important to me? It's not just the mystical process, it touches the heart, it touches the mind, it, it has a rational side to it. It has a uh, eternal side to it as well because the word of the Lord will connect you with the God of eternity but it also has a very practical and temporal side to it because the God of heaven is also the God of earth. So he's not just out there, he's also here with us. Last week we read about Jacob's ladder, the dream that Jacob had when he saw the Lord, and it's an interesting dream because it bridges the two dimensions of our reality, the eternal and the temporal. And so, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis 28. We'll do a little review from last week. Starting in verse 12, it says that Jacob dreamt that there before him was a ladder resting on the ground with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of the Lord were going up and down on it. So there's this connection between heaven and earth and those who can move in both realms. And then suddenly, the Lord was standing there next to him. And he said, I am Adonai, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you're lying, I will give to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the grains of dust on the earth, you will expand to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. By you and your descendants, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Look, I am with you. I will guard you wherever you go, and I will bring you back into this land because I won't leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Verse 16, Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said, for sure, the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. And then he became afraid, and he said, this place is awesome. This is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So think about this, it was a dream, but it connected to Jacob's normal life. He's going in pursuit of finding a wife, and He's wondering, if I go, will I come back? What about the promises God has made to my father and to my grandfather about the land that I have been living in, 
the land that I was raised in, the land that God brought my grandfather Abraham to. What, what about all that? And the Lord says, I'll bring you back. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to watch over you, and I am going to bring you back. It's an awesome word. If you've ever been in need of, of personal direction, and you've sought the Lord, and you've gotten an answer from him that is both personal and concrete, you know how life-changing that can be, the assurance that it brings, it, the, the confidence that God is looking out for you and watching for you, that he has interest in you, that, that he's not apathetic, nor is he so far away that you can't connect with him, nor that you're so insignificant that he doesn't take notice of you, but rather the word that comes from the Lord becomes a source of life for you, and it becomes powerful. Now, part of the message was this. The spiritual world and the natural world are connected to each other. In fact, it's one world, but most of the time it seems like it's two different worlds. But sometimes the Lord allows us to see into the spiritual world. He opens the curtain, if you will. And in light of that, think of some specific details from what we just read. Suddenly the Lord was standing next to Jacob. Now that's interesting in several respects. Suddenly, because suddenly is a word about time, right? But the eternal we sometimes think of as timeless. But I would suggest to you that the way time works in eternity may be different than the way it works in this world. But there's still something moving forward that makes us understand that there can be a suddenly. Suddenly the Lord was standing next to Jacob. Now that's a provocative idea, that the Lord was at a specific place next to Jacob. And you could say, oh yeah, but it was a dream. But what's so provocative is that Jacob could perceive the Lord in this way. He sensed the location of the Lord. He sensed the presence of the Lord and where the Lord was. He wasn't far away. He wasn't behind him. He was next to him. Elsewhere in Torah, we see that the Lord comes down and stands next to Moses on the mountain, stands next to Moses. The Hebrew is unequivocally clear in both regards. The Lord is next to each of these people. So Jacob perceived the presence of the Lord. And then another detail, he knew it was the Lord. It wasn't uh, a question for him, who is that? Or what is it? Some, um, some scientists who are, who are believers, some Jewish believing scientists, um, have described the numinous personal presence of God. Numinous from the word pneuma, having to do with spirit. The spiritual presence of a person. God being spiritually present as a person, not as, a, as an abstraction or a general life force, but the person of God was perceived by Jacob. He knew it was the Lord. And then he heard the Lord speaking to him. The Lord, in this respect, 
not only speaks about eternal things, but he speaks about the physical world that Jacob is in simultaneously to having this dream. Because the Lord says, um, let me read it to you. He says, um, the land on which you are lying, I will give to you. So here, Jacob is having a dream, but the dream is an unusual dream because it's connected to the real physicality and materiality of the world that he lives in. And the Lord, speaking to Jacob in a dream, says, this land you're lying on, because imagine this, if I get the picture right, Jacob is lying down, right? And then the Lord is standing next to him. And so he's talking to a guy lying on the ground who's got a stone for a pillow. And he's saying, this land you're lying on, I'm giving it to you. It's really interesting. Now, I understand that dreams can be dreams. Dreams, you know, can be the, the way that you defrag the hard drive of your brain. If you remember defragging, how many remember this. Oh, good. We've got people who actually probably remember DOS as well. Yeah. <laughs> How many of you had a 286 computer and thought, this is the greatest thing ever? Yeah. Okay. We're dating ourselves. <laughs> we can go back even further. Yes. Yes. Floppy disks. Okay. We'll just... <laughs> Yeah, punch card. Yeah, 80 column cards. Yeah. Yeah, all of that. There's, there's a way that dreams work um, where they, they unite the thoughts and experiences. They take away, they help us process extraneous information and put it aside and consolidate our understanding. There is also another kind of dream, and, and, and this is the dream where you're working through some issues in your life. It, it touches your thought process, your rational process, but it does it in a way that um, I think we're all familiar with, but it's not always purely rational. And then there are dreams that just are the processing of emotion, and even worry and anxiety, fears of different kinds. There are dreams connected to eating pizza <laughs> too late at night, or spicy foods too late at night. But this was not one of those dreams. This was something else. And I want you to understand this because the, the writers of the scriptures could distinguish between regular dreams and this kind of dream. And this is not the projection of the inner psyche of Jacob upon uh, the world of chaos and uncertainty. It's something else. This is God entering into Jacob's world through the dream state. It's fascinating to me. It's not connected to the ingestion of any hallucinogenics. He, he was not in um, ingesting peyote. 
or Mescaline, or he hadn't heard of Timothy Leary, and so forth. There's none of that going on. But rather, this is a way that God opens up the spiritual world and the physical world that are normally experienced as separate realms. He opens them up as one united realm to Jacob. And Jacob is able to retain this experience, to put it into words, to make it concrete for himself. But more than that, Jacob is able to hear not his own inner thoughts, but he's able to hear the word of the Lord. The Lord has something to say to Jacob. And this is essential. If we're reading the story, it's essential that we grasp these details because though they are extraordinary and the situation is extraordinary, there is something that I want to propose that, about this that it can be normative, that each of us has the spiritual capacity to experience God, to hear from the Lord and to understand some things from the Lord. It may be not something that we can fully control. There may be aspects where the voice that we hear is purely a spiritual voice that comes to us through spiritual capacity. It may seem like a thought, and then we realize it's not my thought, it's from him. It could be like... um, Samuel experienced, where he heard what he thought was the voice of Eli calling to him. And so he got up out of bed and went to Eli. And it wasn't Eli. Eli sent him back to bed. And he heard the voice again. It sounded like Eli's voice to him. And he went to Eli, and again, it was not Eli. And it turned out it was the Lord. But the Lord spoke in such a way that Samuel heard it as Eli's voice, but it wasn't Eli's voice. Do you you remember that story? It sounded like the voice of Eli, but it wasn't Eli speaking, and Eli knew it wasn't Eli. God is speaking here. This is not Jacob doing self-talk. And if you're a Jungian, this is not an archetypal Uh, experience in the dream that Jacob is having. This is an encounter that Jacob has with God at God's initiative. How do we know it's God's initiative? Because Jacob says so. The Lord is in this place and I didn't know it. I didn't come here thinking I was going to find God. I was surprised that God found me in this place. But there's one other characteristic there is a sense of awe. So Jacob is not inflated in his own ego. He's not thinking that he's now great. He's thinking the Lord is great. Some people are in pursuit of spiritual experiences that are meant to elevate uh, their ego and to satisfy ego needs, to, to, to make a person feel like they're worthy. That's not what's happening here. God is worthy, and he is showing to Jacob um, that he has a plan for Jacob. So this, this is a fascinating spiritual encounter with the Lord. Now, years later, 
as we read about this week, and we're going to read in Genesis 32. You can turn there. Jacob has another spiritual encounter with the Lord, but it's not in a dream. It's not a mystical vision, but it's just as challenging as the first one. But Jacob is returning to the promised land, and he knows his brother Esau is coming, and Jacob expects the worst. It'd be good if you knew the story of Esau and Jacob, the background, the conflict, from even the time of uh, their conception and their time in the womb. There, was, there were two nations that were fighting each other, and the younger um, the, would be served by the older. But despite all that conflict, Jacob is ready to meet Esau, but he's expecting the worst. And so in Genesis 32.8, Jacob prays about everything he's afraid of and worried about. Jacob became greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people, flocks, cattle, and camels with him into two camps, saying if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, at least the camp that is left will escape. And then Jacob said, God of my father Avraham, God of my father Yitzchak, Adonai who told me, return to your country and your kinsmen and I will do you good. I'm not worthy of all the love and faithfulness you have shown your servant. Do you see the condition of his, his own persona? He's not saying I'm good He's saying, I don't deserve the goodness you've already shown me. Since I crossed the Jordan with only my staff, but now I have become two camps. Please rescue me from my brother Esau. I'm afraid of him. Afraid he'll come and attack me without regard for mothers or children. You, Lord, said, I will certainly do you good and make your descendants as numerous as the grains of sand by the sea, which are so many they can't be counted. Now think about this. Jacob is reminding the Lord about the things that God said to him. Now this is important. I want to focus on this idea for a moment. The, the word that God gave Jacob, the word years before, the word which came in a dream, the word that was alive to Jacob, was a word that Jacob held on to. He, he treasured it. He kept it. He thought about it. it. It meant something to him. He committed it to memory. He could play it back to the Lord. Lord, do you remember you said this? Years ago, you said this. I want to encourage you to do the same. When God speaks to you, when he answers prayer, when he takes initiative, however it may be, that God puts his word in you. It could come when you're reading the scriptures. It could come through another person. It could sound like the voice of another person, but it was the Lord speaking to you. It could come when you're sleeping. It could come when you're awake. It could come when you're worshiping or you're praying. It could come when you're rising up or you're walking by the way. There are so many different ways that the word of the Lord can come to you. But when the word of the Lord does come to you, hold on to it. This is so important. Hold on to it. Write it down. I don't know about you, 
but I gave up the idea years ago of writing things down on little scraps of paper. How many have ever done that? It, to me, this, when I first started doing it, it was like a way of giving honor to whatever was happening. It's like, I'm going to write it down. But then I would put it in my pocket, and then it'd go through the washing machine, and then it would make a mess. But the word was not retained. It's good to write something down because it can help you retain it, but it's not enough to just write it down. There's a process by which each person has to learn how to hold on to the word. If your memory is good and prodigious, then hold on to it any way you want. But if you need tools, find your tools. Write down. I try to write down even sentence fragments and key ideas when the Lord speaks to me. And I have two digital programs, two apps I use that synchronize across all my devices. And I hold on to things. I can find things. That works for me. It doesn't work for my wife. She uses uh, journals. She's on her 62nd journal now. And every time she studies the scriptures, she writes down longhand the scriptures that the Lord speaks to her, highlights or um, underlines in some way, draws her attention to. And every message that she listens to, every sermon she listens to, wherever she is, she takes notes. She writes them down. Now, I can find my stuff, but she can find her stuff. And there are times when we'll be talking and she'll say, oh yeah, the Lord spoke to us about that 17 years ago. It was a Thursday night. <laughs> and when, when we were younger, I'd say, how do, how do you know it was Thursday night? And on this day in that year, and she'll say, because I wrote it down. I say, yeah, suspicious. And then she'd go to one of her journals at that point, and she'd go right to it. And she'd pull it out, and she'd open it up, and she'd show me. Yeah, so now, now you know, we've been married a long time. Now when she says, oh yeah, it was on a Wednesday morning at 6.30 when, when we were traveling and it was at such and such a time and such and such a place. I don't say, oh yeah. <laughs> I say, wow, that's really impressive. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little slow, but I have an astute grasp of the obvious. But hold on to the word. Find your way. Don't change systems uh, too frequently. If you use a, a, you know, a paper system, keep that system for a few years at least. If you use a digital system, don't change programs every three weeks uh, because then you won't even know where you kept it before. Whatever you do, though, I'm not describing how you do it. I'm trying to encourage that you do something, that you keep track of what God shows you, what he speaks to you, that you hold on to it, and that you refer to it and compare how you understood things. 
sometimes I will take note of what I think the Lord is saying to me. And then months or even years later, I'll go back and review it, and there was a time where I was really happy if I was like 50-50. Well, I thought it was going to be this way. It wasn't. I thought I understood it correctly. I didn't. But there are other times when I know that I've heard something that's too concrete and gives me too much understanding to just think it's a matter of odds or something like that. And years down the road, I know that I knew, and I know for sure, and I can look back and see for sure what God has done. I want to encourage you, hold on to the word. Yeshua said, it has to do with prayer, and it has to do with fruitfulness. There are two conditions. If you abide in me, that's condition number one, if. Condition number two is, if my word abides in you, then you can ask what you will, and it will be done for you. Two conditions are necessary. Uh, we have to fulfill these conditions. But when we fulfill these conditions, it changes the way that we're able to pray. And we're able to pray effectively because the things that, that we desire have been changed, our fellowship with God and our nurturing of the things that he begets in us. That's what I'd be called the begat anointing. When, when God gives you something that he wants you to bring forward and you've got to nurture it. It's not just receive it, you've got to nurture it. You've got to take care of it. You give life, but you've, there's more than just conception or a receiving of an idea or even um, of a life. You've got to give birth to it and then take care of it along the way. And Yeshua is speaking about that. If my word abides in you. It's not if you, Yeshua didn't say, if you have this flash of insight or understanding, but you don't hold on to it, it'll be useful. No, it won't. You can't count on that. If it abides in you, what it means is it finds a a place of residence, a home in you. It, it becomes uh, at home in your heart and in, in your mind. And when you recall it, when you think about it, when you pray about it, when you meditate on it, when you consider, when you analyze, when you wonder how, how to make plans in light of this, it's not foreign to your nature. It becomes integrated into your persona. And so I want to encourage you, put the effort into writing down what the Lord shows you or speaks to you and contemplate and consider the words of the Lord and give God's words to you an honored place in your heart and mind. That's what Jacob was doing. So some of you have received a word from the Lord in the past, but you didn't hold on to it. You may have even forgotten it. But then recently it came back to mind, the thing that you forgot. And I want to tell you, write it down now. Don't trust uh, your memory. Write it down now. Honor it. Show it respect. Show respect to the word of the Lord. Okay, let's read on. Genesis 32, verse 25. Jacob was left alone. 
Remember, the setting is that he's now divided his uh, family and his servants, all of his belongings into two camps. He's anticipating a problem with Esau when they get together. Jacob was left alone, and then a man wrestled with him until daybreak. This is quite mysterious. When he saw that he did not defeat Jacob, he struck Jacob's hip socket so that Jacob's hip was dislocated while wrestling with him. Okay, this is a very specific detail that has importance to us because it tells us this is not just a spiritual experience, it's not just an imagination, nor is it just a dream or even a vision into the unseen realm. This is an experience in the time-space world that he's living in. The man said, let me go because it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I won't let you go unless you bless me. The man asked, what's your name? And he answered, Yaakov. And the man said, from now on, you will no longer be called Yaakov, but Yisrael, because you've shown your strength to both God and men and have prevailed, or you've wrestled with God. And Yaakov asked me, well, please tell me your name. But the man answered, why are you asking about my name? And blessed him there. Jacob called the place Peniel, face of God. This detail is important. Because I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is spared. That's a most important commentary on the experience. As the sun rose upon him, he went on past Peniel, limping at the hip, This is why to this day the people of Israel do not eat the thigh muscle that passes along the hip socket because the man struck Yaakov's hip at its socket. Okay, now this was not a dream sequence. A figure, a man, came and wrestled with Jacob and afterwards Jacob called the place Peniel, face of God, because I've seen God face to face. After the sun rose, Jacob went on. He was limping. And this is why after wrestling with God and having his hip touched and given a limp, that the people of Israel don't eat the thigh muscle that passes along the hip socket. Jacob's name was changed, he walked differently. His explanation was that the man God had wrestled with him. Some people say, well, where do you see Yeshua in Torah? I'd say, well, how about right here? But isn't it interesting? There are times when God will not reveal his name. There's a time when people didn't know him as yod heh vav even though they'd heard of it. There's a time when people didn't know of God as Yeshua. But that didn't mean that Yeshua did not exist. The man-God. That's one way of describing it. The God-man. That's another way. But what's so interesting is the, the, the beautiful way that the Hebrew brings us about. It doesn't address an abstract concept. It simply says, a man came and wrestled with me, and he was the source of blessing, and it turned out it was God. Isn't that what happened with Abraham? 
the Lord came down, and then there were three men. And then it turned out it was two angels and one man, but the one man wasn't just a regular old man, it was God. And so when people say, well, where do you see Yeshua in Tanakh, in Torah? I'd say, how about right here? Every time the Lord enters the time-space world we live in, in the material world that we live in, and becomes visible to us and can be perceived by any one of us, that is an, a manifestation of sorts of the sonship of God, the presence of God in the form of a man. Why a man? Because we're made in God's image. There's something about us that carries in our very nature a reflection of the nature of God. And it's not just our creative or conscientious or our moral or ethical sense. There's something about God that is perfect, but it casts a shadow into this world that looks like a man. I'm using shadow as a figurative term. So we could say, this is not the man who became God, but the God who took on the form and bodily reality of a man. Now, these experiences defined Jacob. They gave meaning to his life. They enabled him to interpret his past, the present, the future. They kept him connected with God. It's important to know this, that we serve a God who reveals himself to those who seek him with all of their hearts. We serve a God who speaks and makes it come to pass. He says and does. Now what's incumbent on us is to be sort of a mirror image of God. God says and does. What's our part? We need to hear and do. Shema Yisrael. Listen, Israel. Our part is to listen and to do. Only if we listen can we speak enough, right? Abide in the Lord. Let his word abide in you. Let his word abide in you. The prophets all said, the word of the Lord came to me saying, there would be no Tanakh, no Brit if people had not heard from the Lord. Now this may all seem too mystical for you, but I want to tell you this is at the heart of Torah and the Gospels as well. Do you remember there was a big conflict in Jerusalem about Paul when he was visiting there? And people were all stirred up, and some were saying that he was abandoning all things Jewish as he was bringing the good news uh, into the diaspora, to Jews of the diaspora, and to the Gentiles. But during a riot in the temple, he stood up and boldly said something like this. I'm being persecuted because I'm a Pharisee, and I believe in the bodily resurrection. And all of a sudden, 
the Sadducees and the Pharisees are at odds with each other because the Sadducees, the Tzadikim, the, the priestly group was thinking, there is no physical reality beyond the spiritual reality. That eternity is inhabited by people who have been stripped of all physicality. Where the Pharisees had a different view, and that was physicality moves into eternity through the transforming experience of death and resurrection. It's a very important point. And Paul's point was also this. You cannot believe in the resurrection of Yeshua if you hold on to the Sadducean view of physicality and resurrection. If you think it's only spiritual, then you can't truly hold on to the fact that Yeshua was physically resurrected and came back and then returned to heaven with some physicality. So he's saying this is essential. It's essential, and I would say it also is essential. I would say the same God who entered into our material world is the one who took on a human body And that body was given as a sacrifice. That body died, but it didn't stay dead. It was resurrected. You can't kill God. I hope you understand that. It's it's not that the Son of God died the way people might think he died. His body died. His soul didn't die. His spirit didn't die. His essential nature as God was not changed one iota. But he rose from the dead and he reincorporated. He took on his body again and then it changed enough that he was different and unrecognizable to some, but it kept some of the characteristics like the piercings, right? for the sake of Thomas and others. So isn't that interesting? Some things were totally different and some things were still the same, but it was a body that was uh, resurrected. So this is important. It's important for us to grasp this. Now all, all Jewish religious theory that rejects the bodily resurrection is uh, faulty in this respect. It's Sadducean, it's not of the Pharisees, it's not biblical, it's, um, it's more related to some of the Greek philosophies and some of the Platonic ideas, and um, it also is more related to the uh, teachings of Islam about uh, spirituality and physicality. It's very interesting. And, and also, so you've got the Greek philosophy and you've got Islamic philosophy. And those both had an influence on Jewish religious philosophy, but not on the Bible. Interestingly, the Bible takes a different position than both of those other directions. So I want to close now. And I want to I pray for you because I think that many of you have received guidance from the Lord, what you could say is a word from the Lord, that 
you need to hold on to, you need to treasure, you need to uh, abide in, allow it to abide in you. The word will be useful to you, and it may be useful now, but it may also make sense out of your past. It may make sense in the future as well. And if you've received a word from the Lord that you need to hold on to, it doesn't need to be judged and evaluated because uh, we have imperfect capabilities about this. Our sense may, may not be exactly the Lord's sense, and thus with humility we receive a word from the Lord. But even so, it's important if you have received something from the Lord that you know is true and faithful to keep presenting it to him and to talk to him about it. Not trying to twist his arm to get him to do something, but as an affirmation of what he said he wants to do. And then through abiding in him, your fellowship with him, and allowing that word to have fellowship with you, then you can pray in a way that will make a real difference. If you've been reminded of a word that the Lord had spoken to you, an understanding that he gave you, something that he showed to you, and you realize it's important. I forgot it, but it's important, and now it's back. Don't put it at risk. Don't lose it. Take note of it. Write it down. Pray about it. Continue to ponder it. And as you talk with the Lord about it and experience the Lord in light of it, it will become more and more useful to you. Treasure that word from the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you're a God who speaks and does. You say and do. Every word of yours is true and comes to pass. Not one word of yours will be unfulfilled. Lord, give us discernment when we do experience the word of the Lord, that we would recognize it, that we would treasure it, that we would keep hold of it, that we would keep it in our hearts and our minds, and we would bring it ever before you, and that we would know that you are the one who will perform your word, because you're faithful. Thank you, Lord. Give courage and heart to everyone who is wondering what's ahead for them, and let your word of faith be useful to everyone, we pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. Please rise if you're by yourself. I encourage you to move enough so that you're not. Thank you, Rabbi. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ya'er Adonai p'navelecha v'yichunecha. Yisa Adonai p'navelecha v'yasem lecha shalom. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.